Today on Bizarre Podcast, I'm going to be telling you about a very famous haunting which took place in the UK in 1956 in the very small family home of the Hitchings at 63 Wycliffe Road in Battersea in southwest London. And it took the UK by storm and for a while forced a 15-year-old girl into the eye of the national newspapers. And the strange story of the haunting even reached Parliament. This 15-year-old girl was named Shirley Hitchings, who lived with her father Wally, an underground train driver, and mother Kitty, who was wheelchair-bound, and her grandmother Ethel, and her adopted son John. The house was a two-storey structure, which was actually being used as two homes, so to speak. The downstairs was home to Shirley and her mother and father Wally and Kitty, whilst upstairs was home to Ethel and John. The family literally lived on top of each other, in their small, contained, but happy little home. But the quiet, calm, happy little home wouldn't last for long. For on the 27th of January 1956, the haunting began. 27th of January 1956. It all started with an ornate, solitary key that seemed to appear out of thinner and manifest of the pillow which sat upon the bed of 15-year-old Shirley Hitchings. As Shirley reached out and took hold of the key, which was around four inches in length and silver, she wondered where it had come from, and who had placed it upon her pillow with such purpose. It didn't look like it had been misplaced. It looked as though it had been placed upon the pillow with intent. Shirley at once brought the key to her father, who had no idea what this small silver key unlocked. He at once went around the house and proceeded to try the key in multiple locks, but it either didn't fit or unlock anything in the old Victorian house. That very night, the family experienced strange knocking noises coming from around the house, from within the walls, and sometimes it seemed like it was coming from within the ground. An eerie tapping and knocking that just wouldn't give in. It persisted all through the night, and it only got louder and louder all around the house. So loud, in fact, that the neighbours started to come knocking on the door, a little upset that they had been awoken at such a late hour. Even the police made an appearance, but unable to find a reason for the sounds, the present was simply pointless. Shirley clung to her father, begging him to make the noises stop. But what could he do? He had no control over the situation, and the noises went on until the early hours of the morning. Over the next couple of days, the noises seemed to become more and more frequent, but there was a pattern developing. Most of the time, the strange noises seemed to start up whenever Shirley would enter the room. It was like the noises followed her around. Well, actually, they did. Shirley started to notice the tapping and the knocking and the scratching would be ever-present wherever she may go whether that be taking a bus ride, or even at her place of work, where she worked as a seamstress. And on a few occasions, she was accused of making the noises herself, and was even blamed for the disappearance of a few pairs of scissors, and was eventually fired from a place of employment. It is not known for certain if the appearance of the strange key was a sign of the paranormal activity which was to come, but for a while the key seemed to have a mind of its own sometimes being placed in one place and then reappearing on Shirley's pillow once again. And one day, it just simply disappeared, never to be seen again. After reading this, I started to look into the symbolisms of keys, especially in spirituality. First of all, the most obvious symbolism of a key is when you give someone the key to your heart, in a romantic gesture. A key can also symbolise comfort. For example, a key can lock you into your home at night, literally locking out the outside world and possible intruders, giving you peace of mind that you are safe as you sleep. But just as a key can make you feel safe and secure, a key can also make you feel trapped and confined to be locked inside a room against your will. But just like a key can keep you locked up, it can also give you freedom. But I think the most fitting symbolism for a key for today's story is the following. 
Some believe that a key can symbolise the opening of a door, a spiritual door that stands between the living and the dead. 18th of February 1956 The strange bumps, bangs, knocking and tapping went on, but up until this point nothing had actually moved, unless you count the strange key that liked to mysteriously appear on Shirley's pillow. That is until one day when Shirley dropped a glove upon the floor. As she bent down to grab the glove, it flew up into the air of its own accord with some force and slapped Wally at her father in the face. And a pair of slippers flew up from the floor and found themselves up on a table. The very same pair that would later go for a walk around the house as if some invisible phantom was wearing them upon his feet. They made their way into the hall, followed by a scared but fascinated Shirley, before they stopped dead in their tracks. And it certainly did shake up the family and nothing could prepare them for the night ahead of them. The back room of the house was what they used as their front room, their living room, where they had a large TV. Well, large for 1956, when a TV set was a luxury, a definite step up from the radio, but make no mistake, money did not come easy to the family, and the house was definitely small and cramped. And as close as they sat to the TV, some nights they struggled to hear the programme over the knocking and scratching noises that seemed to come from all around. In the actual front room of the house, Shirley shared a room with her parents, a small bed was placed next to her mother and father's. This was due to Shirley sleepwalking, and so they all slept in one room with the door locked at night. That night, the family were finding it very hard to sleep, as all the tapping continued to come from the floor, the walls, and even the bed that Shirley lay upon. As Shirley lay there in the darkness, trying in vain to fall asleep, she noticed that her bedsheets were being pulled from her bed. She tried to pull them back, but they continued to be pulled the opposite way. A mother and father asked that she raise her arms so they could be sure Shirley was not somehow moving the bedsheets, and it was clear she wasn't, especially when her whole body went rigid and arched like a bow, and she seemed to levitate at least six inches above the mattress. A shocked father grabbed her and took her from the bed and placed her upon the ground, as a sheet flew from Shirley's bed onto her parents, and Shirley collapsed onto the floor. Over the next couple of days, the paranormal activity continued, and the knocking became so loud that the neighbours thought that they would do a little knocking of their own, as they came knocking upon the door of the family to complain. 20th of February, 1956. The activity had now gone from some eerie bumps and bangs to actual levitation of objects that would float into the air and fly off at incredible speeds, normally towards somebody or at a wall. At this point, most people knew about the strange goings-on inside the house, including the neighbours and the landlord, and it wasn't long before the national newspapers heard about the terrifying poltergeist that the family had affectionately named Charlie Boy or Spooky Willie. And the newspapers came away with the sensational stories of chairs being knocked over by unforeseen forces, clocks flying from the mantelpiece, and of course the slippers that liked to fly or walk around the house. One of the reporters suggested asking Spooky Willie some simple questions. The poltergeist could answer with one tap for yes two for no, and three for I don't know. The reporter asked, Are you evil? The response was, No. The reporter then asked, Can we help you in any way? The response was, Yes. The reporter then asked, Have you a message for Shirley? The response was, Yes. The reporter then asked, Will you deliver it today? The response was, no. The reporter then asked, Tomorrow? The response was, No. 
The reporter then asked on Sunday, and the response was, Yes. The reporter then went on to ask, How old was Shirley? Fifteen knocks. Shirley was 15 years of age. Now this is where the story gets a little bit muddled. Through more questioning, it was discovered that the spirit was Shirley's dead grandmother. And then the story changed, and now the spirit was that of a young boy who played with Shirley a few years back when Shirley was younger, and the little boy was named Donald. The reporter came to the conclusion through the knocks that once a young boy had moved away overseas, he had died on the journey. This once again turned out to be false. There was indeed a little boy who used to live next door called Donald who Shirley played with, but the little boy moved away from the area with his parents overseas. And it didn't take long to confirm that the boy was indeed alive and well. But from this day the poltergeist would be known as Donald regardless and the names Spooky Willie and Charlie Boy faded into obscurity. Although it's worth mentioning, Shirley claims that the name given to the poltergeist didn't come from the childhood friend, but a very fiery, feisty, angry duck named Donald. Donald Duck. Regardless, from this point on, the poltergeist would be called Donald. The reporter was also responsible for creating a fabricated love story between Donald and Shirley, which you might say is downright cruel, but of course Shirley claims that this was never the case and it was all imaginative storytelling by the newspapers. At some point, Ethel, Shirley's grandmother, was also interviewed. The thing we need to remember about Ethel is that she was a stern, strong-headed Irish woman who didn't think it was wise to communicate with the spirit. She did, however, claim to have seen strange things whilst working as a nurse, this including witnessing the souls of the patients leave their body behind and the ghost of a dead husband that visited her after his death and stood eerily at the bottom of her bed. As well as the newspapers, a self-claimed medium named Harry Hanks, a friend of Wally's from work, arrived to help in any way he could, by trying to make contact through his spiritual gift. Wally was reluctant at first, but quickly warmed to the idea after the activity started to get worse. Apart from a few knockings here and there, in response to questions, very little was established about the activity. Donald remained a mystery. 21st of February, 1956. It wasn't only the newspapers who wanted Shirley's story, the BBC wanted to get in on the story as well, and an interview was arranged to take place that very day at the BBC studios. Shirley must have been exhausted due to the activity carrying on through the night, just as Donald promised. You see, Shirley had asked Donald earlier, before bed, if he planned to behave himself tonight and let them rest, and he responded with three sets of two knocks, which meant no, 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 and he was as good as his word. Throughout the night, the knocks got louder and louder. Shirley's glove would once again find itself flying across the room and the bedsheets would be tugged away from underneath her body. Apparently, Donald also liked to lie upon the bed across her legs. Sleep simply wasn't going to be an option. Even Shirley's grandmother did not escape the disturbances as a chair in Ethel's bedroom overturned in the dead of night. Despite all this, Shirley did make it to the BBC studios to appear on a TV show named Highlight. Shirley had her interview in front of the bright lights of the studio and told her terrifying story, but unfortunately Donald refused to put on a show and was unusually quiet compared to normal. By now the story of the poltergeist at 63 Wycliffe Road had become a national sensation. It wasn't only the newspapers that wanted to get the story about Donald, but the general public, 
who wanted to experience the haunting for themselves, even going as far as jumping the wall into the back garden of the Hitchings. The family started to feel very claustrophobic and angry by all the attention, and they desperately wanted Donald to be gone. The family friend Harry Hanks returned on the scene with hopes of communicating with the spirit. Now at this point in history, spiritualism was quite big. The Ouija board had been on the market since the late 1800s and was seen as an effective but not recommended way to contact the dead. And Wally and Kitty were dead against the use of a Ouija board in their home. So Harry Hanks decided to simply write out letters of the alphabet and using the knocking system, Donald would actually spell out words in response to the questions given to him. Although it must be said, Donald was not the best when it came to spelling, but the messages, 9 times out of 10, seemed to make sense. 22nd of February, 1956 Harry Hanks was making some progress, but he insisted that the next step was to hold a seance at his home in Stockwell and attempt to rid Shirley of Donald the Poltergeist once and for all to exercise the disruptive spirit. Shirley's parents were not keen on the idea, but Hanks was very persuasive and the press also supported the idea, but I imagine it was just to sell newspapers and I don't actually think Harry Hanks had Shirley's best interests at heart as it was himself who invited the press. I'm thinking he saw an opportunity and manipulated the affair slightly. The seance took place in Harry's front room. The light shut out and a circle formed around Shirley. Crammed like sardines into the front room was Hanks, his wife and his daughter who was in her 20s, Wally and a clairvoyant and a spiritualist, as well as photographers and reporters. Hanks quickly put himself into a trance and his face seemed to change and he attempted to make contact. However, all of a sudden there was a loud banging at the door. Bang, bang, bang. Now I can imagine it must have made a few people jump. But this wasn't the banging of an angry poltergeist banging on the walls. No, this was the sound of the police banging on the front door. Someone had tipped off the police that a black magic ritual was underway in the home of Harry Hanks. The police entered and was eventually convinced that the seance was breaking no law and was by no means black magic and eventually they left. Hanks continued the exorcism, shaking and trembling and using a booming voice that he claimed was the voice of his spirit guide. He proclaimed aloud that Donald was now gone. The exorcism was successful, and there was a certain calm after the seance, and it did indeed seem that Donald had indeed gone for good. Unfortunately, that was not the case. The haunting was about to get a lot worse. The very next day, two reporters arrived and they claimed that Shirley's brother John gave them permission to take Shirley to a doctor and to answer some questions, but John most definitely did not give permission. He knew nothing about it. But to make Shirley feel more at ease, they gave her sweets and fizzy pop to gain her trust. Shirley was fooled by the reporters and she went along with them anyway, in what I class an extremely disturbing thing to do with a young teen. To manipulate her like that is disgusting. Whilst with the reporter, Shirley was asked many questions and they actually experienced some strange tapping and knocking that seemed to be coming from Shirley herself, but they were not convinced it was anything supernatural. One of the reporters claimed that the sound seemed to be coming from Shirley's feet, and when they asked her to remove her boot, the tapping stopped at once. Upon further inspection, it seemed that Shirley had a mild deformity of her big toe. This deformity is called hammer toe, a condition where normally the second or third toe can bend or curl downwards due to the middle joint becoming more flexible. 
It was a reporter's opinion that Shirley could actually make her toe produce a loud, clicking, cracking noise that they believe was a tapping and rapping that was supposedly coming from the poltergeist. Of course, at the time of the interview, Shirley had no idea why they wanted her to remove her boot. And when they asked her to pose for photographs holding the boot up, she simply did so. She was tired and hungry and simply wanted to go home. Shirley claims that when she eventually did arrive home, the activity started back up with a vengeance. First of all, the house seemed to come alive with the sounds of knocks, bumps and bangs. And at around 11pm that night, objects started to be thrown around the house, such as a photo frame and slippers. Some of the objects were even launched at Ethel, Shirley's grandmother. This paranormal activity was followed up by a small fire that started in the front bedroom, setting the bedsheets alight, but luckily it was quickly put out. On another occasion, Shirley's watch fell from her wrist. She picked it up and fastened the strap to find moments later it had simply disappeared. It was clear to the family it was a poltergeist who had took the watch, and so Shirley's father called out for Donald to return it at once. It wasn't long before pieces of the watch started to fall at his feet, but not all the pieces of the watch. Shirley's father then threatens to call the police. This bit actually did make me laugh, the fact that Shirley's father was threatening a poltergeist with the police and the poltergeist actually responds by returning the watch, even if it is in pieces. You see, the poltergeist returned more pieces of the watch and he dropped them at Wally's feet, but the metal surround and strap were still missing, so Wally makes one more threat and then the rest of the watch appears, although the metal surround was said to be bent. A few days later, a story appeared in the Weekend Mail, and the headline was the following. Spook was in girl's big toe. The article was written in such a way to suggest that the haunting was a big hoax, and the tapping noises that were supposed to be coming from Donald the Poltergeist were actually coming from Shirley's big toe, whether she was aware of it or not. The paper said she may have been doing it subconsciously. The article also said that Shirley's mind was filled with horrific stories that she had become fascinated with, like certain TV shows and her grandmother's ghost stories of a dead husband at the bottom of a bed. And Shirley had taken all of this in and had convinced herself of the haunting and subconsciously made the clicking, cracking noises with a hammer toe deformity, which was only possible when she wore her boots. To this day, Shirley insists that it is ridiculous that this story was written and that the reporters actually witnessed Donald throwing piles of papers from the desk and yet it was never mentioned in the article. Shirley was now seen as a liar in the public eye and shamed in front of the nation. Who would want to help the family now rid them of Donald the poltergeist? Now that Shirley had been made out to be a liar. Well, there was one man who desperately wanted to help the family he wanted nothing in return for his services. After all, being a paranormal researcher wasn't his full-time job. He actually worked down at the tax office. So, the paranormal research side was more of a hobby. He had a genuine fascination with the paranormal and had become fascinated with this particular case. And on the 6th of March 1956, he arrived on the doorstep of 63 Wycliffe Road, raised a hand and knocked upon the door. And when the door swung open, he introduced himself as Mr. Harold Chibbit. And that is where we're going to end part one of the Battersea Poltergeist. On the very next episode of Bizarre Podcast, we'll be jumping straight back into part two. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I hope you found it interesting. I certainly did. I'm of two minds about this case, whether it was real, whether it wasn't. But as always, like I always say, I will leave that up to you to decide. 
I've actually created a post on my Instagram page where you are free to come along and state your opinion on this case. I'd love to hear what you think about it. I will put the link in the podcast description and that will lead you directly to my Instagram page and to that particular post if you want to state your opinion on what you think actually happened way back in 1965 at the Hitchings family home. So until next time, take care of yourselves and each other and I will see you very soon on the next episode of Bizarre Podcast. Take care. Bye-bye.